That's really cool. That's cool. So that'll lead us right into what we're going to look at at Luke. We're in chapter 15, and it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing, drawing. They hated the IRS. <laughs> now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, so the Pharisees are the religious leaders. What's a scribe? They were the ones that would copy the scriptures. It was a particular profession, a religious profession. Grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his neighbors together, his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There is more joy in heaven over leading one person to the Lord, you know what I mean? Maybe you're at a football game or at a bar for some reason or, or this or that and you, or, and at Starbucks and you lead someone. There is more joy than a conference with 10,000 Christians who have a wonderful experience. Do you hear what I'm saying? Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over the one sinner who repents. So when you guys hear, this is Jesus talking, and remember what started it. They were complaining that he kept having all of his meals with what they called sinners, right? What, what, and then Jesus gives them two stories, two parables, a third one too, but we don't have time to get into the third one. What did you hear of Jesus saying? What, what jumped out at you in Jesus' words? What'd you notice? What'd you notice? Parable of the lost sheep or the parable of the lost coin? Anything jump out at you? I know something must have. What did you notice Jesus is saying here? Or what Jesus is emphasizing? Just for the one. Isn't that amazing? You would do that, though. I mean, if let's say you have five kids. You're out to have dinner together, and one of the girls is gone, and, you, and nobody knows where the girl is. You're not just going to keep eating dinner. You're going to stop everything, and you're going to search until you find, right? What else did you notice that Jesus was saying? Anything that he was emphasizing? Anything jump out at you? The word Jesus just said, until he finds. Until he finds. I noticed that he keeps, until he finds it, and it's their point, until he finds it. So it was like perseverance. And not going to stop. Not going to stop. What else did you notice? Anything else? Would they find, um, they find the lost item of them and rejoice? Rejoice. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's Jesus is emphasizing joy in this. So a few things about this passage we'll look at. It said in verse 34, which I didn't read, chapter 14, verse 34, Jesus just gave a whole long teaching, and here's what he said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then we get to the next verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to what? Hear him. Do you see the connection? He had just finished by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And then the next passage says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And what is Luke showing us? Hearing The people hearing Jesus were not religious leaders. The people hearing Jesus 
were these tax collectors and sinners. And you find that through the whole life of Jesus, that's the case. Now, tax collectors were not grouped in with sinners just because they collected taxes. The way it worked, they were like toll collectors. And the government, the Roman government, would actually pay them a certain amount to collect tolls. So any amount they got above that, they pocketed. Does that make sense? So it's not just because they were collecting taxes. They were dishonest. They were extorting people for profit. They were using their influence to take more money than they should. So when John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing and calling people to turn to God, a bunch of tax collectors said, well, what are we supposed to do after they repent and get baptized? And John the Baptist says to them in Luke 3.13, collect no more than you are authorized to do. You see that? They were hated by the Jews, tax collectors. The Pharisees would lump them in with all these other sinners that did, you know, all these other people that disobeyed the Old Testament law. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, unjust adulterers, and even like this tax collector. There's a, a, the Talmud, which is the, the Jewish commentary on their scriptures. The Babylonian Talmud from the first uh, probably from the first century or second century AD, said that tax collectors were so dishonest that in Jewish court of law, you, they weren't allowed to be witnesses. They weren't allowed to give testimony. So Pharisees and scribes believed that you are not supposed to associate with sinners, and they had a lot of Bible verses to back that up. Like Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And there's a lot of verses like that. And then they've got ancient rabbinic Jewish teachings, even outside of Scripture. One of them from uh, one of the earliest rabbis says, Quote, let not a man associate with the wicked even to bring him near to the law. They, they, they taught that, well, if the Old Testament says this, just to make sure we don't disobey it, let's add this. But what about verses like this? The Pharisees were wrong, really wrong, at least in two ways. First of all, in their self-righteousness, they didn't consider themselves sinners. But everybody has broken God's law. Everybody is equally guilty for doing that. Everybody is a depraved sinner. The people that think they're not, I don't know, what's the word we use? Pathological, is that the word? Completely self-unaware, right? Listen, Jesus talks about this. Luke 18, he told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so they treated others with contempt. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And Jesus says that's wrong. But the second thing is, they didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not associating with sinners to participate in their sin. Right? Anybody be, anybody, have you ever gone to Las Vegas? My wife is going tomorrow. <laughs> Just look at the faces of the people that gamble all day. Look at the faces of people that come out of the shows where, and look at the faces of the people that come out of the bars. I'm telling you, I, I, used to draw, I used to fly to Vegas almost every month for work. I did that for years. And you can literally see the misery on their face. Sin makes people miserable. That's why they have, you have to keep upping the drug because the more, miser the more you 
sin, the more miserable you get. So the farther you go to try to deal with the misery, right? Jesus, I'm not associating with them to participate with what they're doing. I am associating with them to save them. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So they, their, their charge to Jesus was, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This, this, this verb receive and this verb eat are present tense verbs in Greek. The, they're not just saying he did it once. They're saying, this guy keeps doing it. He's always hanging out with them. An ongoing activity. You don't really get that when you watch the movies with Jesus in it. Maybe when The Chosen, you can get a little bit more. But when you watch the stories, you just don't think he's constantly hanging out with, like, the adulterers and the tax collectors and the violent zealots and, and the, you know, all those people. The Greek verb receive that they're using, it literally means to welcome or invite in. The exact same Greek word in Romans 16, 1 to 2, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kenkrea, that you may welcome her. That word welcome is the same word that's translated receive. Philippians 2.29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. What, is, what did Jesus do? He was literally inviting them, welcoming them, bringing them in. Into where his disciples were or going into their houses. We, the Lord is going to shift us. I mean, there's a re, God didn't just, when, when I wasn't looking to plant, to, to have a property or do a church in your Belinda. I was looking at the city of Orange. Closed door, closed door, closed door, closed door, closed door, months, 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 realtors, realtors, realtors. You guys know the story. And then, the Lord tells Brooke to contact the library. They say yes. Brooke calls me. I said, we can't, we're not going to Yorba Linda. She, and here's what she told me. But maybe the cloud moved from your house to the Yorba Linda library. Like the, the cloud, you know how they followed the cloud of God's glory. So why are we here? If we go to that other side of the room, we can double the number of seats and put the kids in here. Why? Because there are individuals that we, you either know or are going to meet, and your assignment is to bring them here so that they can experience the presence of God in worship, so that they can experience healing, so that I'm telling you, people are craving forgiveness. They just innately feel dirty. They know they feel guilty. They know they've done wrong. Where are the, and, and they can come experience forgiveness here. I've been in seasons in the church where every Sunday I heard people weeping. I grew, I grew up in a church where every, there were seasons where it was just so normal for people to weep. The Kleenexes were just filling the... Because for, come experience real forgiveness at the heart level. You know what I'm saying? They, and then they go far, though. Jesus doesn't just receive them. He what? What does the next thing say? He what? Eats with them. That was the real criticism. Because in that culture, when you ate with somebody, it wasn't just sharing food. It was sharing your life. Eating was a way of literally connecting your hearts. It was friendship, not just food. When Peter... So Peter's making friends with all of these non-Jews Gentiles in the book of Acts. And then some Jewish leaders show up, in, and they don't like the Gentiles in the church. Right? And so Peter uh, doesn't want the Jews to know that he's making friends with the Gentiles. So what does he do? He stops what? Eating with them. Galatians 2.12, for, for before certain men came from James... 
and he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So Jesus wasn't just, quote, ministering to them. He was actually building relationships with them, friendships with them. Missing, yes, you do share the good news. You tell them, right? You, you explain to them the reason why your life is the way you are is you are separated from God. Here's why you are separated. It's called sin. I know we don't use that word in our culture anymore. Here's what it means. Here's the answer. The crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus, Right? Here's the good news. You don't have to earn salvation. You just receive it, right? But it's more than just sharing words. Witnessing and leading what Jesus modeled for us was sharing your life, your life with them. Where you work, your neighborhood, your school, that coffee shop you visit, you think it's just by all accident and chance that your life is arranged the way it is. Maybe God's primary purpose is the people that you're around, not just the money you're making at that job. Think about that for a moment. So the Pharisees grumble, and Jesus gives a couple of stories to answer their grumbling. And what is the story? He says, listen, I'm going to explain to you what I'm doing, but I'm also going to explain to you what you should be doing. So here's what he says. He told them this parable, what man among you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and goes after that one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus starts this parable, What man of you? Now that little phrase, the implied answer is you would all do this. If you were a shepherd you would not willingly leave a sheep lost out there. You would all, the, 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 it, the question was meant to have a positive answer. But what are, do these two stories, has anybody ever lost a wallet? Like me, often? How, are you not going to search until you find those keys? The point is, is that when you lose personal property, every human being becomes relentless until they find it. A sheep, a coin, a wallet, keys, your phone, and your battery dead so you can't call it. You search endlessly for that phone until you're like looking under the seats in your car. Do you know what I'm saying? And Jesus' point is simple. Everyone does this for lost property. So why on earth do we not do this for lost people? Twice it says the sheep is lost. But then when you go to verse 7, he says one sinner. So he, when, he, when he's talking about being lost... He's talking about sinners, not somebody lost geographically, somebody lost spiritually. What does it mean to be lost? Is you can't find your way back, right? That's when, you, when you're lost, you're separated, and you can't find your way back. And when Jesus uses the word lost, he's talking about eternal separation from God. The same word for lost in Greek, apolemi, the same word is translated as perish in other parts of Luke. An example, Luke 13, 3 to 5, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the identical Greek word translated as lost. 
Now, lost corresponds to sinner, right? What is find? Found correspond to? The word repents. The word in here, a 99 persons over one sinner who repents. That's what corresponds to this being found. The verb repent is 14 times in the book of Luke. 11 times in the book of Acts. It's a major theme. Listen to me. There is no restored relationship with God. There is no salvation without repentance. But what does it mean to repent? It means to turn. It means you turn to God and away from your sin. struggle with sins and addictions for a long time. But repentance means at the heart level, I turn to God and away from it. So instead of accepting it, instead of tolerating it, instead of saying this is now who I am, this sin is now my identity, I'm saying no, my identity is in Jesus. I'm going to learn not to live with that. Does that make sense? What does it mean to repent? It it's just acknowledging that you actually are a sinner. It's acknowledging that you cannot save yourself. It's acknowledging that you need a Savior. Look at this verse, Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and what? Turn back that your sins... It's actually, you have to, a person has to acknowledge, I am guilty before God, right? I am a sinner. Sometimes we do people a disservice. We try to talk them out of how bad they are. They actually need to face how bad they are, right? may be blotted out. If repentance is real, it's going to change what you believe and it's going to change what you do. If it's real. Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and what? Believe in the gospel. It's changing what you believe. It also affects what you do that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Right? So in this parable, what is the shepherd doing? And I think you mentioned this, Joe. He says he's going to go after the one that is lost. And what does it say? Until what? That means sheer determination and persistence to go after the lost sheep. Jesus' example says it's not just going to happen. Right? And after the shepherd brings the lost sheep back home, he says, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that's lost. But that is really pointing to the joy of God. Because then Jesus says next in verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus, when Jesus repeats himself, that's when he's like, this is really important. He does three parables. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. He's trying to drive this home, right? When I need my kids to do something, I just say it over and over and over. It doesn't necessarily work with me and my kids. But it's the principle, right? Or what woman having ten silver coins? By the way, literally countless times in Luke, I don't even know how, to, how many times, Luke has a story or an event with a man then with a woman, a man then with a woman, a man then with a woman. It is so prevalent in Luke, all scholars notice it. That Jesus is shouting equality. He's going to use you whatever your gender, your ethnicity. Luke just shouts it. 
Because you notice, the next story is a and he, he does. If you, once you restart reading Luke, you're going to see it everywhere. First, there's Simeon, then there's Anna, right? And it just continues through the rest. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. This coin is called a drachma. It's a Greek silver coin, and it was worth a lot. There was a Greek author from about 350 to 280 BC, and he wrote that with one drachma, you can buy a sheep, or it's worth about one-fifth of an ox. There's a lot of meat off of an ox. Later on, another Greek writer named Apian from Alexandria, uh, who lived in Alexandria in Egypt, wrote that one drachma could purchase an ox. Inflation. Lucilus moved to the front with the prestige of victory, subduing everything in his path and subsisting on the country. Presently, he came to a rich district, exempt from the ravages of war, where a slave was sold for four drachmas, an ox for one, and goat, sheep, clothing, and other things in proportion. And this woman, like the shepherd who lost this drachma, this coin, it said she'd seek diligently until she finds it. And just like the shepherd, she said, rejoice with me when she found it of the coin I had lost. And like the shepherd's story, Jesus says, this is pointing again to the joy of God. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why does Jesus mention this? Listen to me. Jesus knows what will motivate your heart. Think about this. If you're, if, you're, if you're married, if you have children, is there something about, I know if I do this, I'm going to bring joy to my spouse's heart. If I do this, I'm going to bring joy to my daughter's heart. It's actually one of the strongest motivations we have. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you a secret about what brings joy to your father's heart. When you love somebody... You want to do what brings them joy, right? What is more motivating? Someone you love, when you do it, they, they, they laugh, they smile. That's what they, you, you know what I'm saying? Lead doing this, going after the lost. I mean, God does, he's not physical being, he's immaterial, but in ways we can understand, it puts a smile on his face. It puts a smile on his face. The key to both parables, the key to both, everybody say the word you. That is the key to both parables. Just so I tell you in verse 7 and verse 10. You understand what I'm saying? When, like in, in verse 10, just so I tell you, everybody say you, there is joy before the angels of God. That is the key to both parables. Jesus, yeah, Jesus is like the shepherd. Jesus is like the woman after the lost coin. But that's not the point. His point was he was trying to tell the Pharisees and his disciples and anyone that follows him this is what you are supposed to be doing. The you in verse 7 and verse 10, to go after the lost. I remember, um, I just, one final thing. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his assignment, right? If that was the assignment of Jesus, then how can we have any assignment that's less than that? Right? It was in 2005, um, 
There was a girl, lady, she went to the Anaheim Vineyard, Christy Wimber, daughter-in-law of John, and of John Wimber, and she called me and she said that she had an idea of, she just knew a lot of people that weren't going to church. Some people were not believers at all, and some people were, but for one reason or another, they had kind of started walking away from it. And she called me and she said, I have this idea of once a month of meeting in someone's backyard and inviting all the people that don't go to church. I think it was like on a Friday night. And she said, we'll do worship so that if nothing more, they can at least experience the presence of God. In the context of when people are worshiping. And she said, then we could do simple messages on the cross and forgiveness and then pray for healing. Pray for people to be healed. And she said, do you want to do that with me? And I said, yeah, it sounds great. So I said, yes. And so we started planning uh, our first Friday evening. It was going to be in a backyard. And all of a sudden, like I remember the, like the week or two before, I started getting really nervous. Because our message was just going to be out of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And I'm starting to think, but God, what if nobody gets healed? You know what I'm saying? And I just, God, what if you don't show up? What if there are no miracles? And I don't know, and, and maybe because I'm now, quote, partially leading this, I just started getting nervous. Because I honestly, I started thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to tell my coworkers, come and be healed. God is real. He'll show you. But, Lord, what if you don't do it? And then I have to go meet them at work the next Monday, right? So I decided this is now the week. It's Monday, and we're going to start our first one on Friday. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to fast and pray. Because the Bible says, you know, God honors fasting and praying. He answers fasting and praying. When you're desperate, you fast and pray. So I was going to fast on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for three days. I thought, Lord, then you're really going to answer and you're going to show up. So Tuesday morning, I'm fasting. I'm not eating. I'm just drinking. And I, I mean, it wasn't more than 10 or 11 o'clock. All of a sudden, I have... The migraine from hell. I mean, it is the worst migraine. I'm like, really? I just started. And with the migraine came nausea. And by 1 or 2 o'clock, I literally cannot work anymore. And I told my boss, I didn't tell him I was fasting. I just said, man, I feel sick. I don't feel well. Um, now, my boss, had, his name was Scott Haversick, and he had had horrible migraines for years. So I said, I got a horrible migraine. I said, oh, you better go home, you know, sit in a dark room with air conditioning, no lights, and just lay there. So I, I, just, I said, oh, so I was, I was going to, I'm leaving work early. I get in my car. I'm driving home. And I'm mad at myself. Because I'm thinking, I, can't, I don't even have the faith. I don't even have the endurance I don't even have the faithfulness to fast and pray. You know, maybe nothing's going to happen at this meeting. And I'm mad at myself because I actually, I grabbed some food at work and I had already broken my fast. And I'm like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even fast one day. I'm barely over half a day. And I'm driving and I feel like the Lord speaks to me while I'm in my car. And I felt like the Lord said, Sam, why are you praying and fasting? Well, because your Bible says blah, 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 blah. And the Lord said, why? And sometimes when God asks a question, it's because he, he knows you already know the answer. He just wants you to be honest. And I, and I know what the Lord said. He said, you're fasting out of fear, not out of faith. You are so afraid that I'm not going to heal you are so afraid that I'm not going to do miracles. You are so afraid that people aren't going to hear the good news and that you have to fast and pray to try to make something happen. 
And I said, you're right. And I said, Lord, what should I do? And I felt like he said, go have a nice meal, be at peace, and just trust me that I want to do this more than you do. Just trust me. Now, I'm not ditching fasting and praying. The Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom. Have you guys ever read it in Matthew 5, 6, 7? Praying, fasting, giving, forgiving are like the foundation stones of the Christian life. The problem was not fasting. The problem was my motivation. God wanted to deal with my heart. I was, I was not trusting him. Friday morning comes. I am leading, half leading this meeting coming up. I had a list of coworkers that I was going to invite. We are meeting Friday night. Friday morning comes. I still hadn't invited anybody because I was so shy. I was so timid. I was so afraid to do it. <clears throat> Embarrassed. Right? Oh, they don't want to talk about religion. They don't want to talk about Christianity. It's just easier to talk about profit and loss statements and scheduling and work, right? Or the, or the baseball game, right? It's easier to talk about vacations. I still hadn't invited anybody. And I, and I finally, I just thought, I cannot show up and teach at this meeting if I'm the one person that had not invited anybody. So I used that morning. I went to the different offices. I had a list of about five or six people, and I sat down, and I, and I shared. They were all cool with it. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I think I'll come. But it was, I think I'll come, like, okay, you're not coming. <laughs> but then I go into our file room, which is our house, and one of the guys on my list was named was Tommy from Guam. And I told Tommy, and he goes, Healing? He says, you're going to talk about forgiveness? He was a cultural Catholic from Guam, but he literally had no idea who God was. I think, you know, he, during like a, a holy day, he would go and do some rituals at the Catholic church. And he, and he said, I mean, to him, they don't, it's not even a con conceivable to go talk about God in the backyard. How do you do mass in the backyard? You have to have the altar and the priest and the, you know what I'm saying? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to come, but he said it differently. I'm like, you might actually come. <laughs> so we show up at the meeting, and Tommy called me because he got lost in his car. And so I gave him directions, and I thought, Tommy's coming. And he showed up. David Roos, who was a famous worship leader, we had, you know, because Christy Wimber had connections. So he led worship. And I, I'm like, oh, I can feel the presence of the Lord. Now, God is always with us. Sometimes you feel him, though. And then I gave a short message on Jesus and the cross and forgiveness and how that's the only way of salvation. And then we shared about how he heals and he, and he, wants, to show, he wants us to see it, not just hear it. And he wants to show himself. And so we said, who wants prayer for healing? And Tommy raised his hand, so me and, this, and a couple named Mike and Jan gathered around him. And we said, what's wrong? And he said, I have terrible arthritis. I get it in my neck and my shoulders where I literally can't move my head. And it's always with me. So I said, well, let's pray that God would heal you from your arthritis. We laid hands on him. And we just said, Lord, let your healing power come. Holy Spirit, touch him. Tears start falling down his face. I'm thinking, okay, God's doing more than arthritis. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, God is touching his heart. And then his thumb starts vibrating violently. Why? I don't know. The power of God was on him, and somehow his physical response to the power of God was his thumb was vibrating violently. Something has to do with the power and energy of the Holy Spirit. He said he felt a lot better. And then the meeting ended, and, you know, we all went home. Monday morning, I'm in my office. Knock on the door. Tommy comes in, and he walks right up to my desk, and he looks at me, and he says, Sam, 
Jesus is real. I said, I, I know that. That's what we talked about. <laughs> he says, no, no. He says, you don't understand, Sam. He's actually real. He really is alive. He really is. He said that every Saturday morning for years, his root, what would happen every Saturday morning, and this will happen sometimes if the sickness is demonic, not just physical. There are certain patterns. And there's a lot of witchcraft, witchcraft that would, I, I found out later that was happening in that whole community of Catholics from Guam and his relatives. He said that he would wake up in Saturday morning. Um, he would wake up with a migraine on, only sa on Saturday morning so severe he wouldn't be able to get out of bed till 1 or 2 in the afternoon. He, he couldn't get out of bed to get on his clothes. And he said when he woke up Saturday morning, he said he woke up, brushed his teeth, started putting on his clothes, and then forgot that he was supposed to have a migraine that morning. And he said he had zero. He said, Sam, you don't understand. It's the first Saturday in years. And it, it's, it was gone. I mean, Sam, you don't understand. It was gone. The next Friday, he brought about 10 family members because they all knew about his Saturday morning headaches. They lined up on this grass. These were not believers. They'd never been to a church, especially a church where the Holy Spirit is moving and it's charismatic, right? They lined up, and as we were praying for them, they were falling on the ground. Boom, boom, boom. Not because they saw some televangelist TV show. The Spirit of God, the weight of God's presence was hitting them. Nobody told them you're supposed to fall when people pray for you. I mean, and this went for weeks and months through the, the, this family network of, I guess people in Guam all know each other in Southern California. <laughs> we are going to have a lot of stories like that. You, there are Tommies, I'm telling you. And, and, and in our culture, we, we've got to push back against a media and a culture and an atmosphere that says, oh, don't push your God thing on me. If there is salvation, if Jesus rose from the dead physically and appeared to people, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the incarnation, Jesus is Savior. The most loving thing we can do is put Jesus right in front of people. Talk to them, ask them questions, listen to them. God will give you the, you don't have to be a theologian. God will give you the answers. You, so half of it is just sharing them what he did in your life. After, I'm just sharing people my own testimony, my own story. Right? Deanna, do you want to come back up? Let's stand up. I asked God, I said, Lord, you know, what do you want to do with us this morning? I'm going to read to you a, a Bible passage. It's in Ephesians. Listen to, listen to what Paul says. Praying, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all, everybody's perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That is why part of this is ask, seek, and knock in this. I, I need you to, we need to be relentless in prayer before God, right? But the next verse, and also for me, 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. So what did Paul say? Pray for me for what? Words. Give me the words to share. Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly. So here's what the Lord wants to do. Words in your mouth and boldness in your heart. Everybody say, words in my mouth, boldness in my heart. Even this morning, I saw that the Lord wants to give, you, give us that. This has nothing to do with your, if you're an introvert or extrovert, shy or talkative. Boldness from heaven is not, is not an issue of your personality. It's an issue of what the Holy Spirit does inside of you. Does that make sense? And so the Lord wants to give you the words and the boldness. We are going to find lost sheep and lost coins. And, we're, and church is boring for a lot of people, right? There is going to be a celebration in our midst that's not going to come just because we had cool music or a cool sermon. It's going to be a celebration because we're going to have lost coins and lost sheep. And literally see people's lives change forever. Forever. Right? Just don't bring them next week because my sermon will scare them. <laughs> so the week after that. If you want, I, we have, I don't use, we, have, we never do this. We have a meeting at our house. We never have where people come forward. But I feel, I, I, in my, I feel like we're supposed to this morning. If you want that boldness and want those words, right, then I want you to come forward and step out and say, God, Holy Spirit, give this to me. You don't have to come forward. There's no pressure ever with, with us. But if you're feeling it and you want it, you can come forward. And let's just start, let's just invite the Lord. We'll just do this for a few minutes, and then we'll finish. Now, just hold out your hand if you want. You can stand or you can kneel. This, it, it's a way of, of saying, God, I'm going to humble myself before you, and I need to receive from you. And it's a way of saying, Lord, I am... This morning, I, I'm saying, I'm going to be like the shepherd after the lost sheep. I'm going to be like the woman after the lost coin. So, Lord, right now, I ask that you would rest on us, Holy Spirit. Give us a heart for the lost. The reason that there was joy when the lost was found was because there was a heart for the lost. There was love for the lost. Lord, give us love for the lost right now. Receive it. The Father's love for the lost. Fill hearts right now. Receive right now the Lord's going to, it's the gift of boldness. Lord, release boldness right now, God. I remember in seasons when God has given me boldness, all of a sudden, it's like I didn't feel like I was myself. I was talking to people in McDonald's. I was talking to people at my work. I was talking to the gas station attendant. I haven't always been like that. But I can tell the difference when I've got God's boldness. Lord, release it now. And release words for mouths, God. The Lord's going to give you the good news to share. The Lord's going to give you the story to share. The Lord's going to give you the answers for questions. People that are not believers have a lot of questions. Then the Lord will give you the answers for the right questions. Just release this now, God. Maybe a few of you just come up and just lay hands and just start praying for them. 
Just, just a few if you want. Come on up. Let's just pray for them. And let's just, just, we're just imparting, we're releasing this. God, release boldness right now. Release love for the lost, God. Lord, words right now. Give Franny words, God, to share with people she knows, even strangers, God. Franny, you are as much a missionary here as any missionary in China or any missionary in Africa. And the Lord, I see the missionary calling on you, but it's, it's, it's people, not just geography. Bless her with that, God. Yes, Lord. More, Lord. Fill Joe now, God. That lion boldness, God. More, Lord. Lord, the bathroom was just a foretaste of the foretaste of the foretaste. It was a sign this morning pointing you to what's coming. More, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. More, Holy Spirit. Yes, God. More, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, God. Lord, I just pray for my right now. Lord, just fill him with your Holy Spirit, God. Yes, Lord. Yeah, that, yeah, just fill him right now, Holy Spirit. I ask for boldness, God. Lord, you're going to give words in his mouth, God. And Lord, that he would feel your love, Lord. That It's like the way that you feel when you see people, Lord. All of a sudden, Miles would start feeling that at times. You're going to share your emotions with him, God. Just bless him with that right now. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Fill him, Lord. Fill him, Lord. Yes, God. Put a little 